Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 354 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing this week, my man? I'm doing good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you. Always good when speaking with you. We're going to dive straight into the review part of the show, as always. Uh, then our special guest will be former world champion David Diaz. And then, of course, part two with the preview part and the news. Let's start with the review part. Like I said, we're going to start here in the States at the Grand Casino in Hinkley, Minnesota, USA. A Saturday night slash Sunday early hours card in the UK. Um, it was live on ESPN+. Plus. It was on Sky Sports Live as well. Uh, let's start with the undercard first. Um, Guido Vianello, the Italian heavyweight, with a knockout win against Rafael Rios, who's now 11-4. Um, Vianello now 9-0 with a draw. He... he um, he gets a knockout win every time he wins a fight. Of course, that one minor blemish to draw obviously went the distance. But other than that, um, nine wins all by knockout. Um, I think that means Rafael Rios has been knocked out twice in a row now. So bad stuff for him. Um, Gabriel Flores with a win as well. You, uh, sorry, with a loss actually. Um, Giovanni Cabrera with the win. Now 21 and 0. Unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Gabe Flores Jr., who's now 21 and 2. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Gabe Flores was down in the first round. I believe it was. Um, hope I'm not confusing him with anyone else. And let's just jump straight to the main event. Um, Isaac Dogbay, friend of the show, now 24-2, and two, former world champion, of course. Uh, this one was for the WBO International Featherweight title. He was able to beat, on a split decision over 10 rounds, Joet Gonzalez, 25-3, and three, his record now. Um, Tim Cheatham, 96-94 for, um, for Dogbay. Patrick Morley, 96-94 for Joet Gonzalez. And then Mike Fitzgerald, 96-94 for Isaac Dogbay. So all three judges, um, two had the exact same card. The other one had it uh, six rounds to four the other way round. But still very close scorecards. Like I say, 6-4, 6-4, and then 4-6. So very close. It's what we want to see. And it was a really close fight. Um, my analysis, I'm going to fly through this really quick. It's going to be a very quick review part of the show. Um, the first round I gave to Isaac Dogbay, I felt he was bringing the fight to the bigger man. He landed a nice right hand as well with about 10 seconds to go in that first round. Round two, I felt, was a really close round. It could have gone either way. Um, round three, I gave to Dogbay. I felt Gonzalez was having trouble with Dogbay's hand speed. Dogbay was throwing in combinations. He was going to the body well. Um, round four, I gave to Gonzalez. I felt that Dogbay was a little less active compared to prior rounds. He took a good body shot as well earlier on in the round. It seemed to affect him, and it spurred Gonzalez on. Um, 
Round five I gave to Gonzalez. I felt it was a close one, but he landed more often and more meaningfully. Round six I gave to Gonzalez. So on my card, he was having a bit of a run here. Round four, five, and six I gave him. Um, and, and I'm going to get on to round seven, which was really close. But um, yeah, round six, like I say, Gonzalez, round, as I say, starting to pile the pressure on. Rather than in the center of the ring, I felt that Dogbay found his back on the ropes many times in that in that sixth round. Gonzalez putting the pressure on. Round seven, close round, could have gone either way. So again, it's, it's, it's a good turning point, I guess, for... Um, Gonzalez now three or four rounds that he's either won or it's been very close and then round eight I gave to Dog Bay round nine I gave to Dog Bay but it was a very close round could have gone either way and then round 10 was another really close round that could have gone either way so on my card it was almost as if um, I think the commentators actually said it as well like they, they agreed with me pretty much Dog Bay started early Gonzalez came into the fight in the mid rounds and then the last few rounds were really, really close. Like I say, I gave round 8 to Dog Bay, round 9 to Dog Bay just, and then round 10 was a very close round. So it was a really, really close fight. It definitely was a 6-4 type of fight or a 5-5. I think 7-3 might be a little bit um, kind of... Uh, it would be a misrepresentation of the fight. It was really close. So if anyone had it 7-3, that one's a bit harder to kind of take in. But 6-4 I can see. 6-4 either way I can see. Uh, it was a really, really close fight. Really happy for Isaac Dogbay. He was a 2-1 to one underdog. We all know he's a really, really nice guy. Um, spoke to him briefly on the Friday night. Wished him all the best. And um, yeah, maybe we'll get him on the show maybe next week or the week after or maybe not at all but yeah really nice guy happy to see him win and his career needed it he needed a big win this is a good win here against you know a former title challenger and hopefully this win puts him in a position for a big fight at featherweight his new weight division uh, moving out now to the embassy suites in nashville tennessee over here it wasn't on TV, but let's just mention it. Friend of the show, big baby Jarrell Miller, now 25-0 with a draw. A TKO in round four against Derek Cardenas, who's now 8-10. and 10. That was pretty much expected. By the way, Jarrell, big baby Miller, has seemed to have lost about 13 pounds, which is good, but we want to see him lose a bit more. He weighed in at 328 pounds there. Um, in Tennessee. Anyway, that wraps up the review part of the show. It was really brief. Let's now welcome our special guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC lightweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. David Diaz. David, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much, man. How you been? I've been really well, man. I'm doing even better now. I'm speaking with you. Um, my first question for you, David, first things first. I like to start these interviews the same way that I start all interviews like this that I do. Where did your boxing journey begin? What's your earliest memory of first ever putting on a pair of gloves, David? My earliest memory is uh, me going to, to the gym. Well, my dad taking me to, to, the, to the boxing gym. There's a park district. We have park districts here, and um, he took me into Wells Park. And I ended up, my first day there, the first day I walk into, and I talk to the coach, I tell him, hey, I, I want to join boxing. He's like, you do? And I'm like, yeah. And he threw me in the ring right away. I started sparring, and he seen that I 
didn't give up and wasn't scared of getting hit. He's like, okay, I'll train you. And that was my introduction into boxing. But um, I, as a little kid, my parents and my brothers, uh, uh, my brothers and sisters tell me that I, I was always the kind of kid that, that if you tell them, hey, go, go fight, that I would go fight. So I guess <laughs> it was nothing new uh, to me. Excellent, man. I love that. I love the way that, you know, your father took you to the gym. You were kind of thrown in the deep end instantly. And you, you yes. it sounds like you took to it like a duck to water. So that's that's great, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell it. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, I beat up the kid. No, I didn't. Uh, I think the kid actually beat me up. But I was like, OK, I'm, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I was like, I'm going to get you back. And, and that's what it was. Yeah, you you weren't disheartened. Um, no, you were a very good amateur as well when you, of course, started competing. Uh, you you won the Chicago uh, Golden Gloves four times. You won the National Golden Gloves three times, I believe it was. You went to the obviously yeah. the Olympics in '96. Um, you had almost 200 amateur fights. What was your favorite moment of your entire amateur career, David? Being an Olympian, uh, being able to. To tell my my kids and and my family that that I was an Olympian, um, that was to be honest with you, that was my goal in in in, in fighting. I I I never ex- you always see yourself as okay, yeah, maybe I'll uh, be a world champion. But as a young kid, I, the Olympics was the point for me that I I wanted to reach. Um, Professional came afterwards because now you're grown up. You already know what comes after an Olympics. You know, you, you money and, and and fame and all that stuff. But at the beginning, when I was first starting off, I I really wanted to be an Olympian, and and I was able to accomplish that. Yeah, obviously the pinnacle of the of the amateur game. Um, getting on to yeah. getting on to your pro career now, David. You made your your pro debut November thirtieth, nineteen ninety six, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on a Johnny Tapia undercard. Um, also on the undercard that night, a man who was one and zero by the name of Floyd Mayweather Jr. Um, that's for the statisticians there. But that night, as I say, you turned pro with a points win over four rounds against an undefeated fighter, 2-0, Marcos Antonio Rodriguez. Not often do we see guys turn pro and fight an undefeated fighter in their first fight, even if it was only 2-0. Um, tell me what you remember of your pro debut, David. Well, it, it, again, it was a Johnny Tapia undercard. Um, I was actually able... In my uh, first pro fight, I was able to meet the, the legendary Alexis Arguello. Uh, I was able to um, introduce my dad to him because my dad was a fan of him and, and liked the way he fought. So my dad was able to, to meet uh, uh, Alexis Arguello. And, you know, the, the first pro fight was, was a scary one in the sense. Um, yeah, I knew I was going against a guy who was 2 and old. Obviously, also had a good uh, amateur career, and um, we ended up winning. Um, yeah, I wanted the knockout, but we didn't end up getting the the knockout. The guy was pretty tall and tough, so and we edged out a win. Um, that's what I remember of my my fight, my first pro fight. And I want to jump forward now in my in my virtual time machine here to your twenty second <laughs> uh, pro fight. It was against. 
uh, I just want to touch on this just briefly. It was against Emmanuel Augustus, um, obviously the yeah. drunken master. Such a puzzle, <laughs> such a puzzle. Didn't have the prettiest record, but was always asking questions of everyone he fought. Um, what was that experience like? Because, I mean, <laughs> there's almost no way of preparing for someone as unorthodox as he was. Correct. Uh, you know, and, and to be honest with you, he did not, from what I remember of the fight, he did not uh, do any of that uh, uh, slick stuff that, you know, he does bouncing around and stuff like that. Uh, we actually fought a good fight. Um, it was a learning experience, and it was almost like, uh, how, how can you say this? Like, he was like the gatekeeper to my success in the sense of, Moving. If we beat this guy, we're able to go up in in in, in um, competition and and go and fight other good fighters. Not not saying that he was any anything less, but um, he was someone that was uh, that gave everybody a good fight, you know. And then after that, people ended up being successful. So I felt that I was able to to do the same thing. Yeah, you beat him unanimously over eight rounds. Uh, yeah. The next fight after that, um, yeah, so so we're going to jump to that one. May 15th, 2004. At this point, of course, you're 23-0. and You box in Chicago, Illinois, against former WBO super lightweight world champion, Ener Julio. Uh, you managed to stop him in the 10th and final round. No one ever stopped him before that or after that in his whole entire career. It was oh, only wow. you. Look at that. That's what I'm Look saying, baby. Thank it's beautiful. <laughs> but tell me. I never knew that. That's what I mean. I like to. I've done plenty of these interviews. I tell guys stuff about themselves that even they didn't know. That's that's a little accomplishment for myself. We'll we'll carry on. <laughs> tell oh, me. Wow. Yeah. Tell me what you can remember, David, about that fight because at that time <laughs> it was certainly the biggest win of your career at that stage. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. We knew we were fighting a former world champion and. And to be honest, it was a tough fight. I remember that fight being a tough fight, and also because um, he ended up giving me one uh, a nasty uppercut, um, and uh, he caught me with my mouth open. <laughs> so it, he hit the upper my upper teeth, and I once I went back to the to the corner. Uh, my manager, Strick, uh, Jim Strickland, who, uh, rest in peace, um, tried to pull the mouthpiece out, out of my mouth. And I was like, no, don't touch me. I can't. It hurts. He's like, okay. So I, I, I think that was in the fifth or sixth round that that happened. And I had to fight like that for the rest of the fight uh, with my mouthpiece on all the time, not taking it off to get a breath. But we ended up stopping him and uh, our our energy and our strength was, we knew we could do that. So we ended up doing it. Yeah, it was a great win at the time, of course. After beating Julio, you wrapped up another two wins before stepping in with future WBO super lightweight world champion Kendall Holt. The fight takes place in Connecticut, uh, Friday, February 4th, 2005. You were down in round one. He was down in round seven. You were then stopped in round eight. There's an argument that the stoppage from the referee was premature. Um, you were also quite a quite a way behind on the cards but tell me about that fight and how it felt to lose for your first you know for, for the first time as a pro against Kendall because it was stopped like the way it was uh, uh, I wasn't even on the ground uh, I wasn't 
like bleeding or, or anything like that. It, he, the ref just stopped the fight because my, I, I guess Kendall Holt uh, threw a right hand and caught me and snapped my head back. And I guess the referee thought that that was enough. But as you've seen in my fights and in my losses, man, I, I go out on my shield, man, and, and that was no way to stop that fight. I honestly felt that I was coming back on him, and I felt that we were getting him. We were getting really close to, to, to stopping him. And I don't know. I, you know how it is with, with, with boxing and uh, when you go to people's uh, backyards, so to speak, uh, sometimes you got to do extra special stuff to, to, to get it done. I, I honestly felt that that fight shouldn't have been stopped. Um, I could have gone the distance and, and uh, I don't know, probably ended up stopping him. But shoulda, coulda, didn't. <laughs> so it's what it is. It was my first loss, um, my first stoppage, so to speak. And, you know, we, ha- we had to deal with that. Yeah, and as you say, you felt you were getting closer. I mean, as I had said before, oh. you stopped him in the re- uh, sorry, you dropped him in the round before that stoppage. So, you, you, yes. you're probably onto something there. After the loss to to, to Kendall Holt uh, in February of that year, uh, which that that was when the fight was in February of that particular year, you still had another four fights before the year was out. You got a win over Tyrone Wiggins, uh, then John Trigg, then a win over former IBF super flyweight world champion Juan Polo Perez, uh, then the draw against Ramaz Pagliani. Um, let's talk about those two fights there just briefly, David, starting with that win over Perez, obviously a former champion, few weights below though. But tell me about that one and then this this um, strange draw against, against uh, Pagliani. Well, the, the 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 previous the one that you said first, uh, what's his name? Um, Juan flyweight. Polo Perez, yeah. Juan Polo Perez. He he was a nice little difficult fight, man. It was a it was a it was a, that one was it uh, Aragon, correct? Um, if you have it was it. in Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. In Missouri, oh okay, no, that, that I was thinking about another one. All right, well. I don't remember that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but I do. I do remember the 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 one I had in Indiana with uh, that draw, my only draw. Yeah. Um, there was no way that was a draw, man. There was no way that was a draw. I just, I just don't understand what the refs. I mean, the judges seen that fight. We we were on him. Um, was it close? No, was it close? I, I thought I thought I won the fight, and they just didn't see it that way, and, and I was, you know, in shock because even the crowd was uh, uh, booing it, and I just I don't think it was a draw. Yeah, it's a strange one because those two fights I mentioned there, obviously, um, you you say you, you forgot about the the fight against the uh, the former champion uh, super flyweight uh, Juan Polo Perez. He ended up retiring, mm-hmm. by the way, with a record of forty six and forty six with four draws. But getting on to the draw, oh, uh, Ramez Pagliani, such a strange one because this is a guy who, uh, you know, when you fought him, he was eleven and zero. He was a three time Olympian. Uh, so really good amateur, and then he draws with you, and 
the judges had it 114, 114 twice, and 115, 113 actually in favour to him. And then he ended up retiring right. within a year of, of uh, drawing with you. He only had 16 pro fights. I'm not sure where he's ended up. But anyways, moving on. Um, yeah, moving on. After can, that, can, can you account? Can you account that one to me retiring him? <laughs> hey, well, I, I say he did. He did have uh, a, a couple fights in that time. He, oh, he had, okay. Then I had, guess I did it. <laughs> yeah, he, he had three wins, but his last fight he got stopped against a guy who I'm not. Uh, I've never heard of the guy, so I'm not sure. But maybe you never know. But uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, after that Pagliani fight, you gather another two wins, both. Uh, by unanimous decision, uh, the first against Silverio Ortiz and the second against Christian Favela. This then leads us into uh, August 12th, 2006 at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas. You box for the interim WBC lightweight world title against Jose Armando Santa Cruz. You were losing the fight on all three scorecards, David. You needed a knockout to win. You got it in round 10, which is not the first time you've, you've got a big stoppage in round 10. Tell me... What you can remember about that night there a real special one of course well it was a special night it, it, it was an awesome night uh you know it was our our first uh title fight right but uh, granted it was an interim interim uh, title uh but it was a championship fight nonetheless and and we were very proud to to get that call and and be able to fight for that for that title the fight in itself uh, we felt that we were, uh, um, how can I say, we felt that before the fight that we were going to beat him, obviously, because any fighter who goes into a fight thinking that he's not going to win shouldn't be in the game to begin with. <laughs> All right? So I knew we were going to win, but it just turns out that he was very good at distancing himself. Sometimes he came in and we went blow for blow. Um, but when I went back to the corner, my coach told me, he goes, hey, man, he's like, we need a knockout. He's like, we're losing. We're losing, we're losing, and we need a knockout. I'm not going to say that, yeah, I went and uh, I knocked him out because he told me to, no. Um, we caught him with an uppercut, you know. Uh, I seen him throwing the jab, and I, and, I, and I threw that uppercut, and I seen that it, it staggered him, and that's when I went on him. Like another life. Uh, I got rejuvenated, <laughs> and uh, I didn't feel tired anymore. I didn't feel like I, I, I couldn't get get to him. Um, and we ended up putting it on him, and, and we ended up stopping him. Yeah, no, like I say, another uh, excellent win. And um, the, the, uh, the, the crazy thing is that after this, obviously – you, you win the interim title. The champion at the time, the full champion, was, of course, the late Diego Corrales. He was scheduled to fight Casamayor in what would be their third right. fight. Uh, obviously, um, Corrales failed to make the way. He was stripped to the title on the scales, meaning Casamayor was... Uh, just just he was eligible to win the title. Casemiro won the title. Then Casemiro gets stripped for not fighting you. You were his mandatory. He instead tried to fight um, Freitas, which never ended up happening. Correct. So he kind of vacated the title for nothing in the end, but it is what it is. You were then upgraded to, yeah. to full champion. Your title was on the line for your first defense, and that first defense, of course, takes place in Rosemont, Illinois. You're coming off a year layoff. 
the date though, yeah. August fourth, two thousand and seven, HBO pay per view. You boxed the three weight world champion at the time. He went on to be a four weight world champion, of course, the living legend himself, Mister Eric Morales. You win the fight by unanimous decision over twelve rounds. Just, I mean, just tell me about it, man. What an excellent name to have on your resume in the win column. And for those people out yeah. there that like to say, hey, he won an interim title, he got upgraded kind of thing, this is the kind of name you they want to see on your record and you got it straight away in your first defense. Yes. So back to when you said that I had won a um, uh, Chicago Golden Glove champions. Uh, um, Chicago used to have, uh, their championship fights at the Rosemont Horizon, which is now the Allstate Arena. So my first Chicago Golden Gloves fight was in the Rosemont Horizon, the Allstate Arena. And I remember myself, man, just in awe of the place and being able to fight there. So for me to be able to do that again, um, this time for a championship fight in Chicago, was uh, something surreal and a dream come true, you know, something that, that you just dream about. Um, we had a lot of family, friends there, people that were able to go see the fight. So I was charged up because of that. But again, to be able to be, to bring Chicago uh, a championship fight and also be, become a champion again, um, it was, it, it was uh, one of the highlights of my career. And, and again, to, to, to fight Eric Morales, you said a living legend, somebody that gave us great fights throughout his career. Um, it was a close fight. Now, every, everybody can say, yeah, well, if you would have caught him in, in, in his early years, you would have lasted. Probably not, right? But we didn't. <laughs> We're not in the what-if games. We're in the what happened today. And at that time and moment, that's what happened. And we ended up becoming a world champion again. And tell me, David, at what moment did you celebrate, you know, becoming a world champion? Uh, was it after winning the interim title, after being upgraded to full WBC champion, despite not physically fighting for the belt, or when you beat Morales in that kind of first defense? When I beat Morales, that's, okay. that's when I knew I had become a world champ. How, um, again, how, how, how crazy were the celebrations, if you can remember? Oh, it was crazy. It was, I, you know what? I, I don't, I, I didn't have no entourage. I didn't have nothing. I had my family. I've always just had my family with me. So it wasn't like a big celebration after like a big party or anything like that. We came back home to my sister's house and we all just hung out there and we were just in shock and, and all happy, celebrated, celebrating uh, the victory. Excellent, excellent. Man. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If you were carrying on, I was just no, 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 no. Okay. It was, it was that. It was just that we, we, we just kept it the way we got there. I mean, with the people that helped me get there, family, friends, and that's it. Nobody else. No, that's 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 excellent, man. And the next fight after that Morales fight was actually a non-title fight on the Pacquiao Marquez two undercard against Ramon Montano. You won the fight by majority decision after ten. Um, I can't remember now, but if you can, how come your title wasn't on the line for that fight there, David? Why wasn't it in defense? I I have no idea, but I guess it was just to try to secure the <laughs> the yeah. fight with Pacquiao. 
you know that that, that I, you know, I'm like, listen, man, let, let let's do it. Whatever happens, happens. But uh, they're like, no, we're just gonna do a ten rounder and call it a day and 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 go through it. Okay. I was like, all right, man. So fell in line. Okay, well, there we go. That brings us in smoothly to that next fight, as you mentioned, yeah. June 28th, 2008, at the Mandalay Bay in Vegas. Uh, your second defense of your of your WBC lightweight world title. You get in there with another living legend, the eventual eight-weight world champion, Manny Pacquiao. Now, at that time, Pacquiao was, I'd say, probably at his peak, to be honest. Unfortunately for you, you were stopped in round nine, your title taken away by Manny. Tell me about that fight, which I'm guessing is not your happiest career memory looking back now. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you know what? Um, it, it's... It's one of these things, right? Um, Bittersweet. I think at the time I was uh, already uh, uh, 32, if I'm not mistaken. Was I? Uh, I think I was. I, I think I was. I, I, the thing is, I was already aged, you know? Um, I'm not saying that's an excuse. What I'm saying is that I didn't have no more time to to wait uh, to catch uh, Manny Pacquiao later on down the road, you know? Like, to get more experience, to get the feeling of, of bigger fights and stuff like that, or to even get more, uh, uh, try to prepare more for, for him. The opportunity came to fight Manny Pacquiao. He had already beaten uh, Eric Morales, Marco Antonio Barrera, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez twice, Juan Manuel Marquez twice. So, you know what? I felt like I was the guy, <laughs> I was the guy that was going to put a stop to it. You know, of him beating uh, uh, Mexican uh, fighters. I consider myself a Mexican-American, but I, I felt that I, I, I could stop him, that I, that I would be the one that, that, that puts an end to, to his run on beating up Mexicans. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 it turned out differently than what I thought because I actually thought that, you know what, I fought fast guys before. This guy's not going to be a problem. Um, but I was, I was mistaken, man. He, his speed was one of the things that, that I couldn't do. The power punches were not that hard. They weren't hard. Now people go say, oh, yeah, but you got knocked out. I was like, yeah, because of the accumulation of punches, you know, that ended up happening. That's how I got knocked out. The punch that I didn't see knocked me out, and um, it, that was it, you know. But, like, like I said, I always felt that I knew that I could beat them. I, I felt that in my heart that I had that confidence in me to go in there and, and beat him. Yeah, and like I say, I mean, that was probably him in his peak because that was before that crazy run he went on. Obviously, I mean, he beat him. Yeah. He beat him Marquez, as you mentioned in the, in the fight before that. But he beat you. He goes on to, to, to obviously beat uh, De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, Miguel Cotto, Josh Clotty, Margarito, Mosley, Marquez again. It, it was just such a run. Um, after the Pacquiao fight, you were inactive for about 15 months before coming back and getting in with former mm -hmm. two-weight world champion Hester. Jesus Chavez. Now, this one takes place September 26, 2009 in Chicago. You were able to win a majority decision over 10. Do you remember much about that one, David? Another good Yeah, game. that was a tough fight. That, that's actually Jesus Sandoval is, 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 uh, is a great friend of mine. Um, you know, he was actually from Chicago. Um, he was a little bit before me, but I know him and we are good friends. He's a great champion. Um, 
we go back and forth, and he says that he went, that he won the fight, and I said, no, I won the fight, the judges. So he's like, yeah, but you're from Chicago. I was like, I was like, Suze, man, you're from Chicago too, dude. Don't put that up there, you know. And so, so it's one of those things, you know. But, but my most respect, I, I, I thank him every time. Thank you for sharing the ring with me because he is a living legend as well um, for us here in Chicago and in the boxing community. So to Jesus Chavez, I mean, we great friends and and he's a good guy yeah no certainly and he doesn't get mentioned as much as i think he should because he was a really good fighter. no yes he was he was a really good fighter yeah and six months after that you boxed at the cowboys stadium in arlington texas for the vacant wbc yeah. lightweight world title against former wbc super featherweight world champion humberto soto now you and Humberto had been on the same cards in the past, but this time, obviously, right. you were you were fighting each other. This one again is part of the Pacquiao Clotty undercard. You'd ultimately lose wide on points over twelve. Um, tell me what you remember about that one, and obviously Humberto. He had such a up and down career. You never knew which version of him would turn up on the night. Yeah, so I, I you know, I, I I honestly don't know what happened. Um, I think it was the beginning of the end for me. Um, even after the fight, I was like, man, I started telling my coaches, um, you know, I, I, I saw openings, but I didn't take advantage of them. Um, I, I was sometimes hesitant, having that confidence or, or, or that, that fearness, uh, fierce, uh, fierceness of, of me uh, going in there and, and, and taking and hitting them, you know, I was second guessing myself and I, I started thinking maybe it was time, you know, but uh, this is after, after the fight, you know, I, I couldn't, I was talking to my coaches and letting them know uh, about that, uh, that I, that I seen the openings, but I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger, so to speak. And um, they were like, no, just take your time. It's probably just something that, that you, um, uh, with just not your fight, not your day is probably one of those things. So I, I took it like that. I took a couple of days off, couple couple months off, and then we ended up going back at it. Yeah, we did. Um, or you did, I should say. Um, yeah, ten, <laughs> 10 months later in Chicago, Illinois, you boxed uh, Robert Frankel. You beat him by majority decision over 10, uh, January of 2011. And then, of course, your final career fight takes place seven months after that in Hammond, Indiana. You box lightweight contender Hank Lundy. Uh, you end up getting stopped in round six. Of course, you then made the decision to retire from boxing with a highly respectable record, 36-4, and four, with that one single draw. And more importantly, Recently, uh, a fantastic resume with all those names mentioned as well. Obviously, in particular, two all-time greats in there. You beat one of them, you lost to the other guy. Um, tell me, David, did you ever get itchy knuckles, as they say, and want to fight again, want to come back at any point, or no? Never, never. No, I, I, I don't. When I gave it up, I knew I was done. Um, and I'm going to tell you how um, I knew I was done. Um, after the Hank Lundy fight, um, in the dressing room, I was mad because I was beating him. Uh, I almost stopped him, um, you know, and he ended up headbutting me and, uh, the refs didn't 
see it. He said it was a punch. So I knew it was, I knew I was, I had to knock him out or he was going to knock me out one or the other. But in the, in the dressing room when, you know, when everybody leaves you alone, you're down by yourself and thinking and contemplating. So my thought was like, you know what I'm going to do? I was mad. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to go to Philadelphia and I'm going to get me a rematch with Hank Lundy. You know, I'm going to fight him in his hometown. I don't care where it's at. I'm going to fight him, and I'm going to I'm gonna beat him. I'm going to knock his ass out. And I'm there. This is going through my head, and I'm thinking about it, talking to myself. And then I say, okay, because I think it was a Friday night when, when, when we had the fight. And then I was like, all right, we're going to get back into the ring. I mean, back into training on Monday. On Monday, I'm going to start back up and, and start running and start doing what I need to do. That's when my body said, hold on, wait a minute, David, let's talk about this. I think you're dumb, buddy. And that's when I realized that I said, yeah, I think I'm done. I'm not going to I'm not gonna get up on Monday and, and, and go run. I'm tired. My body was telling me that I was tired. Um, so I went home. I didn't tell nobody. Um and then a, a couple of months later, I really knew it because there was no urge in me to get back up, go run, wake up in the morning, go run, diet, go to the gym, work out. There was nothing. I was done. So that's why I knew that, that it was time to hang them up. Could I have done fights in England, fights in Mexico and stuff like that? Yeah. And try to make money, more money. Yes, I could have done it. But for what? I have kids that, that my kids are, are, now that I'm able to spend time with them and have a conversation with them, what if I would have taken a fight that I shouldn't have taken and then I, I, I wouldn't be able to communicate well with my kids or, or, or my wife? Um, I, knew, I knew I was done. I knew it was time to hang them up and let them go because I did not want to work out anymore. I was done. And it's good to hear you say that, you know, you knew you were done because that's the thing. So many fighters I've spoken to in the past, they didn't know they were done or they thought they were done and then they go back on that decision. And obviously, you've you've just pretty much spoken uh, for me what I'm going to say now, but the, the dangers of coming back just for the money. Obviously, it's yeah. far too risky. This is, you know, a dangerous thing. Oh, yeah. And it's, it sounds and, like you And I don't want my well. kids, and I didn't want, I didn't want, I've always said this. I, I didn't want my kids to be embarrassed of me when they introduce me to their friends or their girlfriends or, or, or somebody that they know and, and, and I be like not being able to ha have a conversation or, 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 you know, be thinking right or something like that. Uh, I wanted to be able to enjoy my kids. And, and right now, by the grace of God, I, I'm, I'm able to, to do that. My boys, uh, play baseball and I'm able to go to each of their games and, and cheer them on and, and, and have a good time, you know, and still be able to um, communicate with them, you know, because I've seen it. I've seen it where some fighters, they take it too long and, and it doesn't end well for them. Yeah, yeah. James, Tony, cut springs to mind when you say things like that, yeah. Um, yeah. I've got a few kind of, not quick fire questions, but just very simple questions just based on your boxing career that I want to go over, David. Um, who springs to mind when I ask you who's the hardest puncher 
you ever shared a ring with? Uh, Rangel. Jaime Rangel. Wow. Jaime Rangel, Colombian guy. I fought him. It was a dark show uh, in, in, in the Aragon. We fought, oh my God, this guy was like, he had muscles all over the place. And he was, <laughs> that's when I, I believe I first went down to 135. I was like, how the hell is he 135 and he's got all these muscles and I'm 135 and I'm dehydrated <laughs> you know <laughs> and i'm like walking around pale and boy did he he hit hard he hit hard yeah yeah certainly them colombians they all seem to be good yeah. for some reason um <laughs> um the, the next question uh what was your personal your personal favorite win of all those wins on your on your record all 36 out of all i'm a as much as I think back, um, it's it's the Morales fight. Yeah, it's the Morales fight. I'm home, able to bring that to to, to Chicago. Um, my family, my friends. I mean, and the place where I fought, you know, as a kid. It's it's definitely the Morales fight. The more I get older, the more I realize what a great event that was. What I brought to Chicago. A uh, championship fight, you know, uh, a kid being raised in Chicago to be able to bring a championship fight to Chicago. It's it's hasn't been done since or or before. There was always fights here. There was always fights. Chicago was always a big boxing town, but it was most of the time other people that came in here to fight. But if you really think about it, for me, uh, I think about it and I'm like, man, you know what? A born and raised kid from Chicago became a world champion and had a world championship fight in, well, technically Rosemont Horizon, but we claimed that as Chicago sometimes, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it's in the city, you know, and I mean, and, and it's Chicago. So I don't know that, that, that's the one that I, I remember and I, I love the most. Yeah, it has to be that one. I mean, obviously Morales at the time, you know, he yeah. he already had he already had such an amazing resume. Obviously, I think he had about fifty three fights by that time, so it's not like he was a twenty five year old uh, right. kid. But he did four years after you beat him, he he wins another world title. So he certainly wasn't exactly. done either. So uh, yeah, yeah, he still has some win. something left in the tank. Yeah, more than something for sure. And um, yeah. I want to ask you as well, who was the best all-round fighter that you ever shared a ring with? And I want to kind of take this into two and say, in a fight and in sparring. Ooh. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to split it up there. I have to. There's no no questions about it. Um, obviously, in a fight, it's, it's the man himself, Pacquiao. You know, I mean... I've never been. I can't. I can't put somebody else over Pacquiao when I have shared the ring with Pacquiao. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because of the what he did and what he did to me. Obviously, um, I had never been in in, in something like that, uh, an experience like that, a fight like that, or fight somebody like that, Pacquiao. Now, in sparring, I ended up going to Australia. For about a month, and I ended up sparring Costa Zoo. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, and I didn't. I did pretty well, 
but I didn't do good enough. <laughs> you know, and that guy can hit. Oh, my goodness. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, our Costa Zoo, I mean, it was, that's when also I knew I was, I, I was going to go places because you're fighting a world champion. I mean, guy's a monster. And you're able to do okay. Not great, but okay. I was like, you know what? I can hang with him. I'll be able to be okay with my career. I felt that confident. Yeah, no, that's a lot of people take confidence from things like that. And no, it's it's, it's brilliant. I love hearing about sparring and stuff that people don't necessarily know about. Um, Is there anyone, David, that you wish that you could have had the chance to fight in a realistic world i mean like a guy not i don't want you to say yeah i wish i had a fight with uh sugar ray robinson but i mean like no. is there anyone that you wish you could have fought that was I around just, in the same era as yourself that didn't happen like 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 um uh the diaz you know i don't know if you remember but there was a lot of diaz's around that time and lightweights that were champions they were named diaz's so it was juan diaz from houston who 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 was who was a world champion and then yeah, um the show I forgot the other uh I forgot the other guy's name. Uh it was an Julio Diaz. Julio. I think it was Julio Diaz. Yeah. yeah. Julio Diaz uh from California. So at that time I was like, man, that would be cool if we all get into a Diaz match and <laughs> see who's the Diaz number one. But it just you know, got sidetracked, never happened and, and that, I think that would have been cool. Now not a lot of um Fans will remember. Some of them do. Some of them don't. But I, I think that would have been like cool for, at least for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had Juan Diaz on the show in in the past. Um, haven't had. Oh, he's a great one, guy. Yeah, he's a great yeah. guy. He's doing well he's with his. I think he's got a trucking business now, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he does. Yes, yeah, he's he does. Doing well yes, with that. he does. That's good. Um, yes, yeah, it's good to see him have something after boxing. Um, what was I going to say? Um, you know, Edwin Valera, wasn't he around around the same kind of time? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, Edwin Valero, um I didn't I I I never I heard of Edwin Valero until after I fought Pacquiao because he was trying to fight him. And I ended up meeting Edwin Valero in in, in the Philippines because I went to Manny's birthday. Wow. Tell me about that. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness, man! That guy was something. That guy was something, man. Uh, I was able to uh, have conversations with him, and if his stories check out, I mean, I I didn't know him, right? But for some strange reason, he confided me in some stuff that of his childhood, of what he went through, and stuff like that. And he went through a lot of stuff. Um, it 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 was un unreal to to what he was able to do besides the circumstances he had, you know? And he, with me, we were, he was a cool person with me, man. I cannot say anything bad about him. We had a good time, enjoyed ourselves, talked talked a little crap, you know, just like hanging out, you know? Um, and that was me the first time ever meeting him, you know? And, um, it was just one of those things that, like, when you hear about what happened, you're like, okay, I get it now. And then it's like, it's, it's such a waste of talent that he had and, and fighting. Uh, you see his fights. Um, and 
it was just uh, a, a man that was uh, lost with with his demons, man. Fighting with his not lost, but fighting with the demons that he had, and it was unfortunate for the kids he, he left behind. He left the mother and without a father. Now, unfortunately, what happened to him afterwards and, and what he did. I'm 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 being honest. I I didn't know of him up until I, the after Pacquiao fight, you know that I was able to meet him and talk to him and find out about his record, you know? I was like, holy shit, 24 no first knock, first round knockouts, wow. <laughs> then I was like, all right, who are you fighting? No, <laughs> you know? Wow. But, but yeah, it was it was one of those things that I met him over there, spent time, and, and then I think it was like maybe four four months later, five months later, the tragedy that happened. You know, it's crazy. It's it really is. I mean, there has to be that. It's just kind of irrelevant to our conversation today, but there has to be made a documentary about this guy's life. I mean, the upbringing, the fights themselves, and then obviously how it ends. It's just it's a Hollywood movie, but it actually happened. It's obviously yeah. terrible the way the way things ended. He, he told me some crazy things that. You know, it was unreal. I was like, get out of here, crazy. He said, no, yeah, that's what I did. I was like, oh, okay. I understand. You know, then... How, when, how, when crazy, are we, how crazy are we talking, David? Something you can't divulge? <laughs> not, 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 not at the moment, no. Fine, I mean, it's, it's... Yeah, that's no, it's... Just, I mean, what do you expect a kid... This is what he told me. He's out there in the streets since he was like 10, 10 years old. Mm. You know, he was out in the streets, ten year old. What does a kid ten years old do out in the streets, man? You know, steal, fight, do all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, yeah. get into trouble. You know, without anybody supervising him. This is his words. That's what he said. You know, and again. I, I I I I'm from Chicago, so I, I've seen some crazy shit. But the, the stuff that he was telling me, I was like, "Come on, man!" Like, yeah, that's how it was. That's how it is in my in my country. He said, like, "Oh man, all right, I understand that." And then when everything happened, then you you start understanding. Okay, I guess he did have some demons, man. Yeah. Some demons he was fighting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But no, moving on from yeah. that. Um, I I ask this question to to everyone that I do this kind of interview with, where we go over your career, and I like to hear the answer that I like to hear to this question is no, I have none. But you may not say that. Do you have any regrets? If you could go back and change something in your boxing career, would you, or are you satisfied with the way it all went? I I. Yeah, I I'm satisfied, but <laughs> I just Big wish but. I would have been. I've been yeah, but I I I, I wish I would have been champion just a little bit longer. Hmm. That's my only regret. Okay. You know, just just being champion a little bit longer. You know, it, I I just felt it was too short, in my opinion. For me, obviously, the people I fought and. The person I fought, they took it away. No, no questions asked. But you know, if 
when I was champion, I would have been a little bit smarter, been like, yeah, you know what, maybe it's not right. <laughs> you know, now you start thinking about it, you know, but this is the, 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 the card I play, and that I don't regret. That I don't regret. The, the, I don't regret uh, fighting Manny Pacquiao. I don't. Don't get me wrong. Uh, because, like I said before, as a champion, as a fighter, you shouldn't be afraid of nobody. You shouldn't be like, hey, I'm the champion. I could beat anybody because I am a champion. You know? But if I would have been a little bit more smarter, I guess, in my preparation or, or my thought process to the fight, maybe it would have been a different out- outcome. You know? Or maybe it would have been the same. <laughs> but, you know, it's what it is. And I want to ask you this. I already know the answer to this, of course, but just for the listeners, what are you up to these days? What keeps you busy these days, 2022, David? Uh, 2022, my kids, obviously, with my kid getting busy, uh, high school and baseball, they love baseball, but also my my business. Uh, I have a real estate business here in Chicago. It's called Main Event Real Estate Group. Obviously, Main Event because of boxing. So we use that, and uh, that's what I do right now. Um, help people find homes, uh, purchase them, sell them, and I also have a couple of investors to, that I help out and help them locate uh, properties that 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 could be uh, beneficial for them and finance-wise and um, rentals and and stuff like that. So it's definitely in a wide variety of spectrum in the real estate uh, game. Never thought I would be doing that. <laughs> after boxing but look at me here i am (laughs) and that's what i was gonna say it's such a random career change um how did you get into it in the first place and do you enjoy it anywhere near how much you enjoyed boxing actually i do actually i do i do enjoy it because there's a satisfaction of, of me finding uh people their homes or selling their homes for top dollars and how it is in the market now and, and they get very happy and or being able to help uh, people purchase it and they never had the, 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 the thought or the possibilities and when they tell you that that's what they want and, and we were able to help them in, in the process it, it's really gratifying you know it's, it's gratifying and, and it's a great business oh, fab- fabulous man so you're not involved in boxing in any capacity at all nowadays at, at this moment, I'm not. I was before the pandemic. Um, I was uh, involved. I had. I was uh, working for uh, Cicero Boxing Gym, Cicero Town, uh, a town right outside Chicago, and we had a boxing program that we were running for the last ten years. Uh, well, yeah, it was almost ten years. I, I did that after boxing, and um, but. Uh, then with the pandemic, the 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 hours and stuff didn't just it 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 didn't fit with what I was doing with real estate. Yeah. Money wise, it wasn't giving me a lot of money. It wasn't you know, it it wasn't even paying the bill. To to be honest with you, it was yeah. it, I was doing it because I loved it and and it was fun. But then when the real estate picked up for us, there was no time. I couldn't I couldn't do it. A hundred percent, because I would always be out there showing people houses, or having meetings, or getting things uh, together to 
to wrap it up. So it was it was better for me to just hand it off to somebody else and let them run it. Yeah, no, I understand that completely. And now for probably the most important question of the entire interview, David. 2022, are you a happy man? When you look back on your boxing career, I know you had a small minor regret, but you've you, you've you've achieved amazing things. You're in the record books. You've now got this new job. You've got life after boxing, which a lot of boxers don't have. You're enjoying the job. You've got your, your health, your, your faculties intact. You get to see your kids play baseball. Are you a happy man? Yes, I am. I, I am. Uh, I'm happy because, unfortunately, my dad passed away a year ago. Um, Sorry, David. And I was able to give him the joy of his son becoming a champion. That was, that, that, that for me was the most important thing in my boxing career. And after that, he was able to see my kids, my my three boys, and they're they're growing up. That they're not grown, but they he he left he left this world knowing that I was okay. Yeah. And that man for me is is, is my first best friend, you know. And I did it all for him. My boxing career, everything was for him. So I'm happy. I am very happy. That's beautiful to hear, David, because like I say, I speak to a lot of guys. They're not so happy the way things have turned out for them. I'm really, really pleased to hear that you're happy. That's the most important thing. And also, thanks to you, your father got to meet Alexis Arguello. You didn't mention that. Yeah. Oh, and he got to meet everybody. I mean, but the, my first real fight was Alexis Arguello. I was like, hey, pal, look. He said, oh, my God, look. Then after that, we started meeting Del Hoya. We said, you know, so like that, it just became a... a how can I say, like, almost like, okay, yeah, I know who they are. I, it's not a big deal. My son's a boxer, too. <laughs> so it, it was a great Brilliant. feeling, yeah. Beautiful, man. My last real question for you, David, before we wrap it up, is a question that I'd get shouted at if I didn't ask it, but the UK listeners in particular love hearing the answer to this question. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Favorite UK fighter, any era, who springs to mind, my friend? Oh man, it's uh, Calzaghe. Oh yeah. And uh, I'm gonna go Had. I really like Had, man. You know, Calzaghe. I'll go with Calzaghe. Great boxer. Yeah. Now, brilliant boxer, Calzaghe. A lot of people say Prince Nassim Hamed. That's a very popular one. Yeah. But and, no, uh, not with us. <laughs> not, not with us. He was a little bit too cocky for me. You know, <laughs> dancing around, prancing around and all that stuff. Nah, then, then um, uh, you know, Barrera was the first guy that, you know, put a bow yeah, open yeah, on himself. Yeah, yeah. And just finally, yeah. David, before we wrap it up, if you've got any closing words just to the listeners, if you want to close with a message or just anything that you want to say before we let you go, the floor is yours, my friend. Joey, thank you so much for reaching out to me and, and uh, having me uh, on your uh, radio show, on your podcast show. I really appreciate it. Um, this is a little movie reel that we get uh, in our heads because you give us this interview to us to old timers now. You know, thank you for uh, 
helping me uh, relive my glorious moments. And you guys got a great guy here. Keep him safe. Oh, I really appreciate that, David. Listen, man, it's been my pleasure walking down memory lane with you. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with the future, and I hope for sure that we can speak again someday. Oh, definitely. Appreciate it. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with a card that's been announced for September 23rd. It goes down um, in Newark at the Prudential Center. Maybe you can get over there, Eddie. We shall see. Um, we're going to see Shakur Stevenson defend his unified junior lightweight titles against former title challenger Robson Concesao. That's the guy who um, is Brazilian, and he arguably beat Oscar Valdez but didn't get the decision, I think, maybe in... Maybe not his last fight. It might have been the one before that, but yeah. Um, I'm happy that he gets an opportunity here against Stevenson. Obviously... Concesao was a really good amateur and stuff but again at this point in Shakur's career he just looks closest to unbeatable as you possibly can be um, we're going to see as well in other news um, Mickey Bay and Tevin Farmer finally get it on it's now going down in Arizona on August 12th this card was supposed to have been in Africa then it got moved to Dubai now it's been moved to Arizona it's been all over the place I'm I'm surprised they haven't announced it at York Hall Bethnal Green in London um, it's been from continent to continent I've never quite seen anything like it really but yeah, both guys getting in, both guys friends of the show, both guys former world champions, and all the best to both guys. May the best man win. Um, Yusik Joshua, the undercard, Yusik Joshua 2, the undercard has been announced. Um, obviously, again, the date for that is August 20th in Saudi Arabia, but the undercard, let's run through it real quick here. We have Filip Hergovic, 14-0, 12 KOs. He gets in with Zili Zhang, 24-0. With a draw, 19 KOs. Cannot wait to see the odds on that one. I'm going to be back in a Hergovic knockout. Um, I'll put my house on Hergovic to stop him. I mean, Zhang has been, um, you know, has been has been uh, kind of what's the word I'm looking for? He's he's he he, he anyone could not anyone could beat him. But there's loads of guys. He's there for the taking. There's loads of guys that could take him out, and Hergovic is going to absolutely walk through him. I think. Um, in other news, we have. Um, do, 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 do. We have Callum Smith um, getting in with Mafiao Borderleak, who um, is a decent fighter. Again, of course, at um, at light heavyweight, and Borderleak and Smith are getting it on here for um, it's, it's a world title final eliminator. Um, so the winner will be in line to take on Arta Baturbiev as it stands. Um, so yeah, it's the WBC final eliminator there. Um, all the best to Callum Smith, friend of the show. Um, Ramla Ali gets in with Crystal Nova. That one um, I'm not too surprised about. We also get to see former two-weight world champion and friend of the show, Badu Jack, get in with the undefeated 21-0 with 16 KOs, Richard Rivera. I'm not sure what Badu Jack's been doing of, of, of late, to be honest. He keeps having very meaningless fights. And this guy here, I haven't seen him fight, I don't think. But he is um, an undefeated fighter that, by looking at his record, suggests he can bang, and he is probably a fully fledged cruiserweight. Whereas I don't think Padu Jack really is. I just don't. I just can't. I just can't quite understand how he's gone from you know being a super middle right up to a cruiser. And I remember meeting him, and he's not that big. And I remember like putting my arm around him, and I I never forget how soft his body felt. He felt like a t he felt like a teddy bear, and I just can't imagine him bulking up to cruiserweight and. 
I don't know. I mean, he has done. I think he's already had one or two fights at the weight, but this should be a stiff test if this guy is a true um, a true cruiserweight. Um, we also see Andrew Tabiti, 19-1, getting in with Tyron Spong, who is 14-0, 13 KOs. That one there, by the way, is going to be a heavyweight. Andrew Tabiti. Um, I swear he was like a... Wasn't he like a light heavy? I don't even think he was a cruiser. This is apparently a heavyweight. That's crazy. No, no, Joe, he, he was a cruiser. To be he he fought, okay. Yeah, he, he fought Steve Cunningham, I think, some, a couple, few years back. Maybe in 17, 2017, I think. Right, okay. Yeah, because... Um, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, I remember him... I, I've always got him confused, Andrew Tabiti. I've always got him confused with another fighter whose name has disappeared from my brain. Um, yeah, I think it's Marcus Brown I confuse him with for some reason. And Marcus Brown's, yeah, Marcus, Marcus Brown's a light heavy. I think that's where I'm getting it from. Anyways, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see him up at heavyweight against this guy, Tyrone Spong. It's over eight rounds, 14 and 0, 13 KOs. Um, yeah, I don't I don't even think I've seen him fight to be honest with you. But anyways, whatever. That'll be interesting. I think the undercard seems a bit wild actually. It's really random and I like random stuff. Um and that's really it kind of for the bigger fights on the undercard. Elsewhere we have another fight that's been announced. It's gonna be September third. Former world champion Liam Smith gets in with um Hassan Mwakinyo, who some some uh, fight fans will remember, he came in at late notice and upset the odds by knocking out Sam Eggington a few years ago. But anyway, he's back over here and it's going down in Liverpool, so it's a homecoming for Liam Smith at the MS um, Bank Arena. Um, tickets start at just forty pounds. It's quite a decent undercard as well, to be honest. A few names we get to see: John Doherty getting in with Diego Costa. Um, we also see Adam Azim, the, the hot prospect, um, getting in again with, I don't think they've announced his opponent just yet actually, but he's on the card. Um, elsewhere on that card as well, we have, um, Shakan Pitters getting in with Dan Aziz. What a brilliant, brilliant fight that is as well. I love fights like that. An all-domestic cruiserweight affair. That's going to be good. Again, the date for that is September 3rd. Um, and that's about it for the news, to be honest with you. We're, gonna now, we're now going to move on to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here on Saturday at the Bournemouth International Centre in Dorset, UK. Um, over here, let's run through the undercard first. We're going to see the silver medalist from the 2020 Olympics make his pro debut at light heavyweight, Ben Whitaker. Um, Benzo, I think they call him Benzo, and I think the E is like a pound sign, it's a bit kind of confusing, but anyway, he makes his highly anticipated pro debut against Greg O'Neill, who's 6-6 six and six with a draw, I think he's been banged out about four times of those six, if I'm not mistaken, talking of people getting banged out, we've got Joe Pigford, 19-0, and 0. I think he's probably got about 18 KOs, no opponent just yet for him, it's meant to be over 10 rounds for the WBO European Super Welterweight title, um, in other news, the sister of Daniel Dubois, Caroline Dubois, really good amateur, um, 2-0 and as a pro, 1 KO. She gets in with Happy Dowdy, who is 11-10 and 10 with a draw, being stopped a few times. Um, probably expect Dubois to get another stoppage here. Um, that's over six two-minute rounds, like I say. Elsewhere on the card, Hassan Azim, 3-0, and gets in with Jacob Quinn, who's 4-1. and one. 
Um, Fraser Clark as well, another big, um, big, big guy. Obviously, heavyweight used to be quite a good amateur. Um, Fraser Clark, 1-0, no opponent just yet for him um, as it stands. And also a couple of other guys on the bill as well. But the main event, Chris Billum-Smith, 15-1, gets in with Isaac Chamberlain, 14-1. It's over 12 rounds there for the Commonwealth and European Boxing Union um, cruiserweight title, so the proper EBU European title and the Commonwealth there. Um, great, great fight. Chris Billum Smith, quite a big favourite. Um, I can understand why. I think he's been more active and he's been in bigger fights of late. Um, you know, domestic dust up, stuff like that. Um, you know, so he's he's been boxing on a good platform as well, Sky Sports. And he has always done really well. He's a really good fighter, of course. One of the best we have at Cruiserweight. As for Isaac Chamberlain, I've said it so many times. He's a friend of the show. I used to be quite close with Isaac back in the day. I don't really speak to him anymore these days. But I thought he would beat Lawrence Okoli all those years ago. He lost to Okoli, then absolutely disappeared off the face of the earth. He moved around location-wise. He, I think, trained with a different, a couple different guys. Um... Then he signed with Mick Hennessy, and he was going to be on Channel 5, and it's been very kind of uh, hit and miss since then. He's been very inactive, but the times he has fought, he's looked quite good, um, but no one's really speaking about him. So he does have all the tools to beat Chris Smith. to be honest. I know he can do it. He does have the talent. We've heard about the sparring stories back in the day with the likes of Deontay Wilder. We, we've heard about other sparring stories as well with Isaac Chamberlain. The problem is, though, the lack of actual activity under the bright lights is something that could potentially come to bite him in his backside. Chris Billum Smith, on the other hand, um, you know, good jab, strong, good power, and he's been active lately. He's been in the fights that I think prove that you're at a certain level. Whereas Isaac Chamberlain, we've heard about it. When he had his chance against Sokoli, he was he was dreadful. I think he wouldn't mind me saying so. He was dreadful that night there. Since then, though, he has looked good. He has looked like something's changed. Maybe something's clicked finally. But we're going to need to see it all come out on Saturday night. He needs to be at his best to beat Chris Willem-Smith. Because if he beats him, all of a sudden he almost becomes a star overnight again. And he can say, hey, the only guy I lost to right now is... Um, what, probably the best cruiserweight in the world in Lawrence Okoli. And if he loses, though, to, to uh, Chris Billum-Smith, I don't know where he finds himself. He's in a really dark place again. So I don't want to see that happen. I hope Isaac can pull off the win in Bournemouth in front of Chris Billum-Smith's home crowd. It's a big fight to bring to Bournemouth in front of his home crowd. So he's going to have to be on his A-game, um, um, Isaac Chamberlain. Moving out now, though, to the Virtue Motors Arena in Newcastle, Tynan Ware. This one's going to be on Channel 5. Um, friend of the show, Josh Kelly, 11-1 with a draw. He gets in over 10 rounds for the WBO International Super Welterweight title against Lucas Brian Bastida, who I think is an Argentinian fighter. 18-1 with a draw. Um, I think he got knocked out in that one loss, so it's going to be interesting. I think the bookies are expecting Josh Kelly to not get him out of there. They think he's going to win on points. On the undercard, friend of the show, Harlem Eubank, 14-0. Over 10 rounds, he gets in with Elliot Chavez, who is a Mexican fighter, 11-4 um, with a draw. However, his record's not the prettiest, but he's ranked quite highly at super lightweight. I think they think he's like... According to BoxRec, anyway, I don't know if that means anything, but I think he's ranked as like the fifth best um, super lightweight fighter in Mexico. 
So that's quite, you know, that's quite a big thing there. Elsewhere on the card, Pat McCormack, 1-0, gets in with Dimitri Trenel, who's 8-1. That's at Super Welter. Um, that's about it, really, for that one. Moving out to the final card to mention, it takes place at the Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, USA. It's going to be live on Showtime, Eddie. I'm going to start with the undercard, and then I'm just going to come to you, and you can say whatever you like. We have um, Vito Mielnicki Jr., who is 11-1. He gets in with Jimmy Williams, who's 18-8 with two draws. That's over eight rounds there at Super Welterweight. We also have Sergei Derevyanchenko, 13-4 these days. The middleweight that just threw himself in the deep end constantly. Um, obviously, looks like he's he's been on the slide, to be honest, for a couple of years. I think he's lost four of his last five fights, but still, they've all been against really, really tough opposition, like Danny Jacobs, like Gennady Golovkin, and I can't even remember the other guys, to be honest with you. But anyway, he gets in with Joshua Conley, who's 17 and 3 with a draw. That's over 10 rounds there. Um, elsewhere on the card, we have Gary Antoine Russell, who's 15-0 with 15 KOs. That's the Gary Russell brother that we... Uh, really enjoy watching myself and you, Eddie. He's 15-0, and 0, like I say, in a 10-rounder there against Rancis Barfelemy, the Cuban who, once upon a time, was probably the best fighter in his division. 29-1 and 1, uh, with a draw. Didn't get stopped in that one loss. Can Gary Russell do something spectacular here and extend that knockout streak again against a fighter of this caliber? It's massive on paper, this this step up, I guess, really. Uh, elsewhere, we have Adam Kaunaki, 20-2. and 2. Can he get back to winning ways? He gets in with Ali Aaron Demarizan. That's the guy who's 16-1, and one, was a really good amateur, but lost a fight to Effie Jagba as a pro. Um, I think it, I can't remember if it was a close fight now, but I think it's a stiff test, a stiff test for Kalnaki because obviously Demarizan's got the amateur pedigree, and Kalnaki can, well, I mean, he got exposed a little bit against Hellenius. Um, it'd be interesting, that fight. I, I think it's going to be really good. I don't think it goes the distance. And then the main event, Danny Garcia, 36-3, and three, making his debut at Super Welterweight, a division I can't quite believe I'm seeing him fight at. He gets in with Jose Benavidez Jr., 27-1 and one with a draw. His claim to fame is that he is the brother of David Benavidez, and he's also got a little bit of a claim to fame because he almost didn't get knocked out when he took on Terence Crawford at welterweight because Crawford's knocked out everyone he's fought at welterweight and Benavidez made it to the 12th and final round before getting stopped. Um, other than that, you know, he's a good fighter. I shouldn't say these things like he hasn't done anything himself that's impressive. Um, he is a good fighter. I don't expect this one to end early. I think it goes late. I think it actually goes to points. Um... Just not really bothered about Danny Garcia's career and haven't been for a few years. Um, you know, I, I credit him. He's tough. He's, he's he's a decent fighter, but he's another one of those guys that, I, for me, doesn't really do anything spectacular. He just does the basics well. Um, I thought he lost a couple of fights at 140, moved up to 147, obviously lost the biggest fights of his career there against the likes of... Um, who did he lose to again? He lost to Keith Furman. He lost to Sean Porter. Um, who else did he lose to? Did he get the Crawford fight? No, he didn't get the Crawford fight, did he? Who did he lose to? In his he lost to Spence. Spence. There we go. There we go. And then, um, yeah, now he finds himself up at 154. Um, yeah. You know, I've been disinterested, like I say, for probably about, it sounds really harsh, but probably for about five years in 
Danny Garcia's career, and I'm not that bothered about this fight here. If anything, I kind of want to see Jose Benavidez do something here. It's his opportunity as well to get back in the mix. Um, Eddie, there you go. It's a lot of names there, like I say, from Derevianchenko to Danny Garcia, Adam Kalnaki, uh, Gary Antoine Russell with the 100% knockout ratio. Where do you want to start with all these names here? Well, first start with uh, Gary, Gary Antoine Russell. I mean, I, you and I, you and I both do kind of, not kind of, but like to watch him. He's an exciting fighter, talented. You know what I mean? Even his brothers say I think he's he's the best one of them all, um, and he had he has that he has that attitude and and that and confidence. I think I don't know if he's gonna be able to get the stoppage here. And honestly, I'm not the biggest fan of the guy he's fighting. He has like a weird looking style. Doesn't necessarily mean it's not effective, but um, I just think he has the ability to do it. Now, granted, this guy has pedigree. He's been there. He's been one of the best guys in the division. So. Uh, in his division, so I don't know. It's it's one of those things. I, I would like to see Gary Antoine Russell do you know do great things and continue to get better uh, and, and and prove his his position. And I think he will do that in this. I'm not sure about the stoppage though. I gotta agree with that. Guy's tough, so uh, we'll see. As far as Kanaki, it's kind of messed up, you know, in the situation, especially at heavyweight. The good thing about heavyweight though is that. It's, it's you're only one fight away, especially once you get to a certain level, especially the level he got. So he has his, he has an opportunity at this time to, you know, if he wins this fight, looks good in doing it like he has in the past, he'll have a shot at getting back into the, you know, the upper echelon and putting himself back on track. But if he struggles and maybe gets, gets like a, one of those gift decisions that we all see every once in a while, or anything like that where he doesn't look good, then, you know, it could be the beginning of the end for him, depending on, uh, you know, who he fights, you know, after. Um, and then uh, on to the main event, Jose Benavides and, and, and Danny. I've been knowing Danny since he was a kid. Um, he has the ability. I remember seeing him box when he was young. And believe it or not, him showing a high level of boxing skill before he showed the power and just the toughness and all that. Um, he was kind of on the brink at the time. I'm, you know, seeing him, like, figuring it out. And uh, I guess after a while, he, you know, he started to go to different places, you know, some travel in the world fighting when he was an amateur. And then just all of a sudden became one of the better guys. So, um, and then, as t you know, and inter upon turning pro, I felt like he took a step back in focusing on skill-wise what he needs to do to improve and, you know, improving his skills and started focusing so much more on the power and toughness, which, you know, I mean, that's a good thing as a pro because it can set you apart. Uh, but I feel, I feel like you need to have something to fall back on. And he does have the pedigree, you know what I mean? But uh, he has taken a somewhat of a slide, and I think it's because Danny, is, he stands and watches a lot. He waits, I think, on the perfect opportunity to land shots. And it's kind of bit him in the ass a little bit. You know, excuse my French. But it kind of bit him in the ass a little bit. And uh, I think he needs to be a little bit more on the gas and, you know, listen to me saying the same thing that I need to be doing. But he needs to be, I think, a little bit more on the gas. I think he needs to stop trying to, you know, create a perfect situation, especially going to a division up here, up at 154, that he's never been before. Granted, it's only a few pounds north, but we all know that those few pounds could be like the straw that broke the camel's back. So this might be a situation where, 
Uh, it could be a little bit too much for him, but he's not able to utilize what skills he do- he has developed and 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 be a little busier because it's not going to be as easy to hurt people at these heavier weights. So if I see him in there throwing more punches, you know, behind the jab a bit, getting inside, landing the big shots in combination, I'll I'll be a little more confident to see that he possibly can have a good possibly fourth quarter to his career. But other than that, we'll uh, kind of see what happens uh, going toward the end of his career now. But uh, I wish him luck. Yeah, we shall see. I mean, I wish the guy luck. I just think, um, obviously, being in that 154 division, the only man with a title, the undisputed champion, Jamel Charlo. I don't know if he's looking at moving up to 160. If he is, then I can understand why uh, Danny might be thinking he can make a splash in that division, and maybe he actually could if the, if he were to vacate the belts, Charlo. But I don't think there's been any talk of that. And if he holds on to the belts, I don't really fancy uh, Danny's chances in that fight. So at the minute, there's nothing really there for him, I don't think. And I just think he's kind of riding out the last few paydays he has. But that's just my opinion. I could be awfully wrong, and I am wrong a lot. Um Anyway, that is it, though, for the preview part of the show. In part one, we did the review part. We welcomed our special guest, David Diaz. Um, in part two, we did the news part. We've just wrapped up the preview part there. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 354 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest, the former WBC lightweight world champion, David Diaz. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. That's about everything from myself, though. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.